0: Well, you need to carry us this week. What is that? Feeling feeling a little under the weather. Oh no! I mean, as if it weren't already painfully obvious. Mm-hmm. And it turns bad. out that having a cold when you're doing a uh, audio recording program or a uh, radio, as you as you prefer to say, not not ideal. Do you not consider this a radio program? Uh, mm, I don't know. I guess it's not broadcast live in any way, which I feel. Is typically associated with radio, but I guess the term "internet radio" has sort of shifted away from necessarily being all about live content. So,
1: I think it just makes it feel more substantive. This is not just like a conversation that people get like as
0: an MP3. You know, it's it's a radio program. You know, that's actually how I prefer to think of this. It's just a a friendly conversation. <laughs> so, um,
1: so ver- tons happened this week. Do you want to talk yeah, about what just happened? Big week. Sure.
0: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Because this is gonna get released. Like we're, we're broadcasting live right now, so this will get released in about an hour or so. <laughs> yes. So the uh, San Francisco Giants uh, shut out the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates uh, to win the National League Wild race, and we will start playing the Washington Nationals beginning Friday. And yes, I said we. Uh, yeah. Well, of course. Yeah. No. You're you're definitely we with the Giants is, is your thing. I don't know why you you always criticize me for saying the uh, for for inclu- like using the royal we. Isn't
0: isn't the, the tagline for the Giants "We are giant"?
1: I think it's um, it's like uh,
0: better together or something. Or like,
1: <laughs> I swear to God, it
0: is. Yeah. Oh no, it's like together that. we are giant, which is actually pretty good. Okay, so I mean, so they're basically granting you permission to use the royal we. I think if you watch at least sixty percent of games,
1: you get to say we. I think that's fair. Yeah, I'm I'm not a, I'm not a fair weather fan.
0: You have an uh, an emotional investment put into the team. I do. You you would say that your mood on occasion will be dictated by how well the team is doing. Most definitely. Yeah. So I think I think that, that entitles you to uh that uh that phrase.
1: I think that's why it had such a, a um a no, like a a downer june.
0: Well, it was um well I guess yeah, it was about halfway through June is when the wheel started coming off. Yeah. You know, that that's that's baseball though. I think every team goes through a slump, and I actually think it's not its not about whether you go through a slump, it's the timing of the slump. Like, for the Giants, it was good, right, because it was early in the year, and they had the opportunity to turn it around and start playing better as they got closer to the playoffs, where
1: you... I wouldn't say it was good, but also it was much uh, it was much better than the A's, who so, had a okay. very late well, season...
0: Okay, so to, to change climb. one of the words up front. It, it's it the slump is inevitable. It's not good, but it it's just inevitable in such a long season and we lost like 12 out of 16. That that was that's Yeah, but every team goes through something similar. Maybe not, not necessarily. quite that bad, but something similar. But I mean, to your point on the A's, that's what you don't want to do is you don't want to go into a slump right at the end of the year. They basically backed into the playoffs and I mean, now they're out. Yeah. Granted, I mean, last night was just kind of a crazy game and probably didn't have anything to do with how they played in the month of September, but still, I mean, just the fact that they were playing in that game, having been up by as much as they were in the division in August, you know, if they would have just played even 500 ball the rest of the way, they probably still would have won the AL West. But, you know, we, being the Angels, that's that's my royal we, took it from them, so. Exciting to have the Giants and the Angels in the playoffs. Uh, sort of. Yeah,
1: very exciting. I, I they'll get to they'll get to live it up for about another week.
0: Well, let's see. Can we, I mean, can we just can we maybe agree that you know, it, until the dream scenario of them playing in the World Series happens, can can we we can just make a a pact right where we can just root for both teams. That's not you so mean. Bad, you mean is the it?
1: Angels and the Giants? Yeah. You so you want there to be like a repeat of two thousand two or two thousand three? Uh, Which year was well, it?
0: Well, I, I, you know, I yeah, it was two thousand two. Um, I don't really think I even want to talk about it because it's just it's so premature. I but I, I mean I have guiltily thought about it. I I don't know if I want it to happen or not. I mean, I would I would root unabashedly for the Angels, but I just I don't know. I would prefer it not be the Giants.
1: You would prefer that the Giants don't advance as a National League team to the World Series, because why? Why, why would that affect you? Because the Angels won't make it there. Come now, come now. What I, don't, do you... I don't know why you dislike the Angels. I don't. I just, I just don't care for the. Uh, I don't care for this Trout fellow.
0: Well oh, again, he's
1: he's gonna choke on all his money,
0: so it's fine. Oh, that's terrible. I I meant like metaphorically. He's a great young player with a positive attitude. As we know, professional sports needs more people like that. As we surprisingly discussed extensively last week. No, we just need to disband the
1: National Football League. <laughs> no, I think baseball is just fine. But anyway. Anyway. So we probably have some technology topics to talk about.
0: Yeah, we've got a few. Yeah, we've got a few. Um, All right, you May, may I provide? Yeah, may I provide? <laughs> excuse the... Uh, I wish there was like a sniffle filter or something. Um, Sniffles, that's (laughs) the the most adult and most rugged term you possibly could have used there. (laughs)
1: Um,
0: Okay, let's start with, um, how about an iPhone 6 update? Sure. So we're we're another week or so into this thing. And a little bit of a change with mine. So I, I praised the silicone case last week. And over the weekend, I decided to take that off and try using the phone again without a case. Way better. Way, way better. There's something with this phone. I mean, it's not an original observation. Many of the reviews touched on this, where the glass sort of curves off the edge and sort of meets the aluminum backing in this kind of flush sort of way. So when you're doing any of the swiping from the side gestures, it just feels really, really nice. And I I mentioned last week that was the one thing that was missing with that case. And sure enough, I mean, it, it does make. A big difference in just the way the phone feels um and this this phone this overall feels really really nice so i'm back uh back off the case bandwagon so that's been i would say in generally positive development but in the in the negative development area there is still just a complete and utter lack of support for the new screen size shockingly so shocking to who so I felt like with the the, up, the upgrade to Retina back in the day, at least the big apps, I mean, granted it took apps as a whole quite a while to get there, but at least like the big name apps, like the Facebooks of the world, like were pretty quick to go Retina, right?
1: Yeah, it happened within the first month
0: or so. Was it that long?
1: Yeah, I, I don't understand your outrage or your disappointment that nobody that people aren't rushing to refocus all the resources on a phone that how many they've sold like 500 million iphones and let's say they've sold 10 so they're focusing to support two percent of the current install base
0: well i guess i won't pretend to have more insight than i actually do with development cycles on updates but within the last week facebook and sports center or espn whatever have come out with updates and neither included iPhone 6 support. So, but you're acting like you
1: can't use the application. It's just not optimized for the scaling that the larger screen iPhone recommends.
0: Well, but sort of in in typical Apple fashion during the demo, they, I think Schiller's phrase was a desktop class scaler, whatever whatever the hell that means. And, you know, he said, oh, you know, applications will just just look great. And, I mean, they don't. They look awful. I mean, it's not... As bad as the non-retina apps on a retina screen but it's it's also not that far away and they are actually are in a way not as usable because the touch points are all wrong it's particularly on the keyboard the keyboard is almost impossible to type on on a app that hasn't been optimized so I'm, I'm not not terribly happy about that but again it's one of those things that over time I suppose will correct itself I'm sorry but I find it tough to to to, to gather the outrage well, it's, you know, st- total stereotypical first world problem. Eh, it's, it's even worse than that,
1: but okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's going to happen eventually. Again, like the developer, they have apps that run. They have no, like, there's no financial interest for a free application maker to spend all their development resources just to support a phone that most people won't have in their hands and is still backordered by weeks. Like, like Facebook has their interest is making sure that their ads get shown to as many eyeballs as humanly possible, and they will release the version of their app that they that's going to run most reliably on all platforms.
0: Well, the counter the counterpoint I'll say to that is, I in the last week or almost two weeks now have used Facebook much much less. Your profile's still there. Well, I mean, sure, but I'm viewing less of those ads that they want me to. But I don't know, maybe less Facebook in my life is a good thing. Have you joined LO? What, what is, what is, what is, is that how you say it? LO?
1: I, I assume. It's it's uh, some new bullshit, uh, a social network from uh, people who think that Facebook is uh, selling out their privacy, which they are, which is fine. But it's 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 one of those things that you won't hear of ever again.
0: But didn't it come out today that there was like part of the user agreement that's like, yeah, we're not currently selling your information, but we reserve the right to at any time. I I haven't read that but I don't I don't doubt that. It was on, yeah, somebody put it on Twitter this afternoon. I mean, how how is this any different than what what was that Twitter thing App. that you had Net. to pay for? Yeah, how is this any different than that?
1: Well, one this this doesn't cost any money. Um and but it ha- it has
0: the same problem though, right, where you're trying to start from the bottom up and you're competing against an application or a service that has, I mean, in the case of Facebook over a billion users in the case of Twitter, a few hundred million users. Like that's, that's almost impossible.
1: I'm not sure it's impossible, but it's just that nobody wants to recreate their entire social network. If they don't see like some tangible benefit that they're going to get from it. And the whole selling point of the, their thing is that they will never have ads and, and, it will always be about protecting your privacy and all, and all that, like a bunch of all, all that crap. And uh, like, uh, do you know who Andy Bayo is? I can't say I do. Okay, well he, he's a he's a great internet person. He's he's like done a whole lot of really cool stuff, and he's the one who organizes the XOXO Fest, which you might have heard of. Yes, I have. Um, and then he discovered that they are actually venture backed and received a half million dollars in order to make the website and hire like a seven person staff to create it. Which just leads to the thought of, yes, eventually they do have to show ads or somehow generate money. Otherwise, like, like venture capitalist people do not, do not donate money for the heck of it. They eventually want some type of exit strategy where they get that back, usually at a 10 to 100 times return. So it's just another silly thing that won't,
0: you won't hear from three weeks from now. And you know, like I guess the the point that I had made a a minute ago about it being you know almost impossible to basically compete against like something like Facebook and Twitter now, like people are very quick to point out to the example of something like MySpace, where you know it it was at the top of the world and then seemingly overnight Facebook took over. But it's I feel like we're almost getting to the point where that's no longer a valid comparison because I think in its heyday. I want to say MySpace had what about a hundred million users, give or take. And you know now we're talking about Facebook, which is ten times that, and Twitter, which is I think pushing four times that. So it it almost seems like with these services we're at a scale you've we've never seen before, and then that's only going to make it more difficult for something to come in and take all those people away.
1: I mean that, and Facebook actually did genuinely kind of. They they had more features and they had exclusivity at least to the start and there was easier and better sharing and there was better privacy controls like it was a different type of product like most like I never was on Myspace but like it was mainly a thing to follow bands and just like post like pictures right it wasn't really a place where you would curate like family and friend relationships was it
0: uh, I mean photos were a thing Def- people definitely put a lot of photos up there but that was probably the extent of the sharing and viewing of other people's content that I did. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Anyway, this is not my area of my expertise. No. But anyway, so no. somehow this originated from uh updates on your iPhone 6 experience.
0: Yeah, that's it. I just, you know, no more case. Um I'll I'll still use the case for when I'm like at the gym or things like that, but for day-to-day use without no case will be the way to go for a while. Um, and I'm still bitter about the lack of app support. Okay. Uh, still, so without a case, you're dealing with camera bulge. Uh, camera bulge is fine. It's it's mm. sitting here at my desk. Um, it doesn't. It's it doesn't wobbly. Really, no, like when you when you I'm here. i have got it. I'm got it on the desk. I'm kind of swiping and tapping, and the bulge doesn't really make it wobble or anything. Type a text to somebody. It definitely does. It really doesn't though. Like I'm actually even like wiggling the edges side to side, and it mean it does some, but not 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 really. The bulge is very small. Show title. Yeah, it's it's, um, it's in the running.
1: And let's use this as a perfect time. Let's uh, let's talk about your fancy new headphones. So I had made a recommendation to you, which you did not find the comfort or fit uh, a match for you, but you found something that you like a little bit better, right?
0: I did. So, um, you know, we, we think we talked on one of our earlier public episodes how every once in a while we wanted to do maybe some, like, product or app recommendations. So I, I've, got a, I've got a couple of those this week. Um, the first, so as you mentioned, I've been in the market for a while for really good uh, wireless headphones, Bluetooth headphones. I've had a pair of the, like, the sports version of the Bose IE2s for a while. And they're very nice, but there are just too many cases where, when I'm running or biking or in the gym, just like a cord, is, it just it just gets in the way. Um, and it, and it like especially when you're running, it kind of like just flops around, and it's just just not having a cord is just not great. So I've wanted Bluetooth headphones for a while, but I am one of those people where I'm super super picky with the type of headphones I use. I just a majority of headphones I wear, I just don't like. So it's been taking me a while to find a good pair and I originally a month or two ago bought what what were the ones I bought that you recommended that you use.
1: Uh I am a ardent supporter of the uh Jaybird Blue Bluebuds X or something like that. They have a really stupid name but they're fantastic.
0: Yeah, so they they really do go out of your way to try to make a fit that works for you. There's two Kind of different main options. There's like an over-the-ear and under-the-ear configuration, and then within both of those configurations, there are different size tips and different size. I think they call them like ear fin things that go like kind of up into your ear canal to give you some additional support. And you know, you 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 sent me a text right after I got them saying, "Hey, it's going to take you a little bit of time, and it, you know, you some patience, but you really do need to try to find the fit that's best for you." So I did that, which it was kind of a pain in the ass, and sort of confusing and everything. But I took the time, I tried it, and I did find a configuration that. What I just got to the point where I felt like it was the best I could do, and I just still wasn't. I still just wasn't getting a good fit because they're they're all about getting a good seal, and I just I just wasn't able to to get that. Gotcha. The closest I got was I did the. The alternative configuration, which I think is the over the ear, right, mm-hmm, yeah, so I did that with the medium tips, and that that was close, but still not still not quite right. The other thing that's I frequently wear some type of like headband or beanie when I run my my ears get grayed. sorry, <laughs> I'm a wimp, what can I say? I
1: imagine kind of the like the Denver like uh like you're on the ski slopes, and you have the the hat with
0: the floppy ears <laughs> right. Panda, the panda hat? No, not at all. <laughs> I do actually have a panda hat. Uh, anyway, so I do wear, a, a, you know, a beanie frequently when I run, and that was impossible with those Jaybirds because they they stick way out of your ear. Uh, so anyway, I tried those for a couple weeks and it just just didn't work out. So I, I kind of I, I returned them and I there wasn't really anything else that was standing out, but. In the back of my head, I, I had seen an article a while ago that talked about the PowerBeats 2. This is by Beats, recently acquired by Apple, as listeners of the show will know. And they came out with Bluetooth headphones, these PowerBeat 2s. Um, I guess they came out maybe a month or two ago. And so I've always kind of had it in the back of my head, but they're they're pretty expensive. They're like 200 bucks, and I've never really been a fan of Beats headphones. Um, back in my Best Buy days, we used to sell them, and we'd do demos and stuff of them. And so I got to try... Quite a few different models, and just never really was very impressed. Had all the same typical uh, criticisms with the, you know headphones being too bassy, not very comfortable, too expensive. Um, so I, I you know I was I was skeptical of these, but finally on Friday I gave them a try. I went to the Apple Store and and bought them. And surprisingly, Apple doesn't really give Beats products any sort of special placement or anything. They're just kind of mixed in with everything else.
1: Oh, wait, I would assume I don't think they would. I
0: mean, why not?
1: I mean, it's a very recent acquisition, and I don't really think that. Well, anyway, continue. That's it.
0: Yeah, that's an aside. But yeah. um, so I so I bought these, and you know, right away, what I loved about them is there's only one configuration. Like there is, there is because I I do appreciate the Jaybird trying to give you lots of different options, but at the same time, I would prefer just out of the box them saying, "Hey, this is what's going to fit best. Do it." And that's that's how it is. There are are a couple different tip sizes, but the ones that were default work just fine for me. And the bottom line is that they are fantastic. They sound really, really good. They don't have kind of the over bassy sort of sound that a lot of the Bose headphones I've used in the past have. They're unbelievably comfortable, and they work great when I run, including with the beanie. So... The main, I guess the main criticism of them is, for whatever reason, whatever audio processing they're doing causes there to be a pretty significant delay, like a two to three second delay in audio. So if you're trying to watch video using these headphones, I've heard quite a few reviews online say it's virtually impossible to do. And ironically, it's apparently a problem that if you connect them to an Android phone or a Windows phone, they don't have. So it seems to be unique to iOS which is odd but anyway I only listen to music on them using them so for me the delay is not a problem. So, so all all that's a long way to say that uh I've been very happy with them and highly recommend them. Well I'm glad you found something that matched up with your uh your preferences. Yeah. I mean, again they're they're expensive. They're they're 200 dollars. I think that's 50 dollars too much. Um and they only have 6 hours of battery life on a full charge. Um, which is also not great. I mean, granted, I really would never be using them more than that at one time, so it's it's not like it's a day to day issue. But I just think you should be somewhere closer to ten to twelve hours, which is I think is kind of about what the Jaybird is.
1: Yeah, those are impressive. Where I generally can get a, a five workouts out of them and not have to worry about it.
0: That's yeah. Like I think I think getting a week out of them without charging them is what I would prefer. And you know, six hours is is not that. Um, but they charge quickly. They you, if you charge them, they have a mode where if you charge them for 15 minutes, you get an hour of use. So even if you do get into a pinch, you can kind of get yourself out of it. But I just I still think the battery life should be a little bit better. Uh, but anyway, um great fit, great sound, um big fan. Cool. Oh, yeah. You I'm know, I'm a I'm a big fan of you know, yeah, I, I criticize the price, but I, I feel like if you get something you really like, spending that little bit extra is, is worth it. I would much rather spend a bit more and get something I'm going to be happy with for a long time as opposed to spending a little bit less and just never really being satisfied. Like uh, perhaps with an Apple Watch Sport. Ooh, nicely done. Yes. So I assume you're you're transitioning into uh, this most recent episode of the talk show
1: yeah, so let me just so let's let's summarize some stuff. So the Apple watch was announced along with the iPhone 6 and all that other stuff. Uh, and they had a, and we all know what it does, you know it's a like a one and a half inch screen and it's a wearable computer or it's a wearable um, iOS device that pairs with your phone that does a lot of cool things. but and they announced it in kind of three editions. There was the uh, what looked like kind of just the de facto Apple watch model, which was stainless steel. Then there was the Apple watch Sport. And then there was the Apple Watch Edition, which was the super fancy gold one. And we haven't gotten a ton of information on the hardware or prices other than it's supposed to start at $350. Um, And kind of unbeknownst to me, there's apparently been like a whole ton of writing and analysis of what people think is going to happen, especially by Ben Thompson and John Gruber. I actually didn't even read his whole multi-thousand word article breaking all this down. But they had a lot of interesting ideas on how the pricing is going to work, and perhaps what upgradeability might be built into the product in ways that I had never really even considered.
0: Yeah. So, and and those topics are related to an extent. Um, so, so the summary is that Gruber's position, which I, I I gathered that Ben Thompson eventually came around to and is in agreement with, is that, and we've talked about it on the show t- as well that the sport version is the one that's going to be 350 and that the Apple Watch, the regular edition, is going to start, Gruber says, around or thinks, around $999,000, and that the, you know, Apple Watch edition, which is the 18-karat gold model, will start somewhere in the neighborhood of five dollars to $10,000, um, which, I mean, are numbers that are obviously pretty unfamiliar to you know, your average tech enthusiast, but maybe more familiar to watch enthusiasts. So we'll, we'll hold that for a minute. So that that's that's one big point that they spent a lot of time talking about. But then the second point, which you briefly mentioned, is the idea of upgradability, which, you know, I think ties directly into the price. And this is the way that they framed it as well, where, yes, $1,000 for the Apple Watch is a lot of money. There's no way you could argue otherwise. And five to ten thousand for the gold one is even more money. But some of that starts to make at least a bit more sense if their theory is true. And this is that you're every two years or so, whenever Apple comes out with a new version of the watch, presumably with a new processor, better battery, etc., that you'd be able to take the watch into as presumably an Apple store, and for you know maybe a couple hundred bucks, they, they speculated somewhere between like two and five hundred bucks, you'd be able to go in and continue to use your exact watch, but swap it out for the new processor and a new battery. And you know kind the, the, the analogy they made was that this is how high-end watches work, where if you buy a multi thousand dollar Rolex or you know insert whatever brand name you want, it's very typical that you you go into your jeweler every couple years and you go through sort of a a full maintenance where you perhaps change the battery, you I don't I mean I'm not a watch person so I don't know what else you do, you tune it up, I suppose. Um and that so yeah, so that would be sort of a way that they would kind of help justify some of these prices. And you know, Gruber actually went on to speculate that you know, one of the things people have pointed out, sort of again, to as as like evidence against his theory, particularly about the price of the the Sterling Silver model, is that on Apple's page, you know, they they list it first. The Apple Watch is kind of like the first product, and then the Sport is in the middle, and then the Gold Edition is kind of third. And so, you know, you kind of usually associate that with like you know most popular to maybe least popular. But, you know, they're, they were kind of making the point on the show that if the thousand dollar price is true, but but this upgrade program is is also true. That maybe the regular watches does become maybe not the most popular in terms of units sold, but at least the most popular in terms of revenue generated.
1: Well, what I want to know, I I don't have a, a, like a direct opinion yet, but who who was the first to posit that it was upgradable? Because not that I think small, but like this had never occurred to me ever. I thought it was going to be disposable technology in the sense that you upgraded every one to three years, like you would a phone. So, who who first kind
0: of suggested that? So the, this re, this episode of the talk show is the only place I've I've heard this speculated. The price thing has bounced around a few different places, but the upgradability piece, you know, and I I guess it's I guess to me it it's it's the only way that. A thousand dollar Apple Watch makes sense. That I'm not so sure about. And again, I I'm not sure he's right about. Like I
1: I really really think that the gold one was going to be extremely expensive. Like like kind of, uh, um, like completely out of reach of uh, anything but the like the top five percent of wage earners or whatever. Like like it's probably two thousand plus at least. But I did not expect the silver one to take that type of price point that he's suggesting. And I'm not sure that upgradability or this type of stuff really makes that much of a difference. I think that's just still too darn expensive. And it just doesn't make sense to me at this point. Because they keep talking about, like, this is going back to how actual watches are sold and how this is the norm and people perceive this to be this quality. But as much as they keep wanting to spin it that way, it's not... Apple's not trying to move such a small number of units where it is comparable to watches in that sense.
0: Well, okay. So I I want to agree with you. I I to be perfectly honest don't want <laughs> I don't want Gruber's idea to be, to become reality. But you think about what's happened in the last week. So first a couple days ago, you had the Apple Watch having sort of its first public showing at I'm um, Collet, I guess is how you pronounce this, which is some high-end boutique in Paris where I'm reading through a Verge article here. I guess they sell like $1200 shoes, like $30,000 watches, $13 water, all this kind of high-end crazy stuff. When that you know, that's Apple's never done something like that before. They've never had a public event somewhere particularly before a product went on sale at a boutique type of place. And then also, the other thing that happened, I think this was today or yesterday, there was a profile done on Johnny Ive where a reporter was able to actually go onto Apple's campus and actually touch and use the Apple Watch two weeks before the announcement even. And of course, it was embargoed until after the announcement. And this magazine was not in gadget. It was not, you know even something like the New York Times or any sort of other big-name tech newspaper. It was Vogue. So Apple is very, very clearly targeting this watch at a different market. And it's the market, quite frankly, that supports the theory that this thing's going to come out and be thousands of dollars.
1: I, I think the upgradability thing seems like a really smart take, and it actually seems like something that would be logical, just in the sense that... so. If we are saying that it's going to be a $1,000 plus product for one of the nicer versions of it, like the lifespan of the battery does become a realistic issue because I don't know how that works in actual watches, but like that has to be replaceable. And if technology improves at the rate that we expect it to, meaning there are sizable improvements every 12 to 18 months, it kind of has to be upgradable. Otherwise it just doesn't make sense at a pro- as a product at that price point. I think even selling somebody on a three ninety nine product that needs to be replaced every eighteen months that is not a phone or a primary device is, is a really tough sell but how much would an upgrade kit cost like how like uh, these are all it's an interesting concept but i, I just... there's so much unknown about this product and, and it's and it's frustrating to think about.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I, again, I, I think we were just making the point earlier as to you know Gruber and, and Ben Thompson that the the idea of being able to upgrade sort of is the thing that I mean it, I'm not speaking for myself because I don't agree with this, but for some that ability to upgrade would justify spending a thousand dollars on the product, and not only that, but the point that Gruber made was that. A big feature of watches historically has been sort of their ability to, forgive forgive the pun, kind of stand the test of time, where, you know, if you have a watch that's 20 years old, unlike a piece of technology, people don't laugh at it, people actually are impressed by it. You know, watches in in a lot of cases actually become more valuable as they get older, and so, you know, perhaps... If there is this easy upgrade path, if you're someone who has the original Apple watch from twenty fifteen you know ten years from now, maybe that becomes this kind of vintage item that also is still very functional because it's it's had this upgrade path I mean the whole thing though the whole thing is very the whole thing's very crazy, particularly because we're talking about apple here, right you know we're and to to Gruber and Ben Thompson's credit they pointed this out. We're talking about the company who, with the cell phone, has actually been going the opposite direction. You know, the the primary example being prior to the iPhone, it was a given that you'd be able to swap out the battery. And, you know, the iPhone sort of took that away. And, you know, more and more with Apple's products, we've seen it especially with the MacBooks, they've become less modular. And there's been a lot less ability to... Upgrade the product on your own. Like, I believe it's the case that with the latest MacBook Retinas, right, you can't even replace the RAM or the hard drive on your own, right? That's absolutely correct. The, those pieces are actually soldered onto the board. Mm-hmm. So, this would be a dramatic shift away from that for Apple. Particularly, it'd be particularly surprising given that, you know, one of the primary reasons why Apple has chosen to go this direction of having products that are less flexible in terms of users being able to swap things in and out is because every time you do that, you just kind of by the law of physics have to make the object bigger because pieces that are coming in and out have to have latches and other pieces that if everything is just soldered together, you don't need to have. And so when you're talking about a watch where size is kind of everything, it would seem very surprising that Apple would go this more modular route. And you know, the other thing too, that and they I think on the talk show they may have briefly mentioned this, but they didn't go into a lot of detail on it, is that, I mean, yes, it's true that the processor and the battery will get upgraded on newer versions over time, and you could in theory swap those out with the existing model, or in the existing model. But I mean, what about things like a better screen down the road, a thinner bezel and a thinner device? like improved bands, things like that. Like those are things that this existing model presumably would never be able to take advantage of. So, so I think the bands
1: would be swappable, but that that is a good point. And also that leads to what I was gonna say earlier, which is like, does does Apple wanna set the precedent of upgradability and making this a modular design and have to be held back? Like, let's say there's like, I, I know it's an entire system on a chip, but like, you know, uh, in like when you're building a PC, and you have a motherboard that has a certain socket design and you have to replace a whole bunch more stuff in order to support a newer processor right so how does that not come to play like is apple really willing to limit how they can develop and manufacture a product and make it better to maintain legacy compatibility with however they design something
0: well so this is where this is where we or where i i i lose it a little bit because i'm i'm just this is the the engineering side is so far outside of what i'm knowledgeable of but they on the talk show spent a lot of time talking about how the s1 which is the chip inside the apple watch is this sort of like computer on a chip idea where i i guess like everything is just on the chip it sounds like and so that that i guess is one of the central pillars for this idea even coming to light that because of this sort of computer on a chip idea you could in theory swap out the chip and you're essentially replacing the entire unit but again i I don't really i don't know all the technical details of that
1: but then what if there's some type of throughput limitation or like new sensors on a screen or something that makes the battery more efficient what if there are these types of design constraints that they're making for the sake of modularity
0: yeah, so that's that's a, that's the other really good point is in addition to the screen and just the physical size of the device, you know, presumably things like the sensors that are on the the back side of the screen those will get better, you know, presumably they'll make enhancements to the digital crown, like all these things that aren't going to be even in a, in even in this sort of like pie in the sky idea of being able just to like undo a couple screws, pop in a new chip and battery and you're good to go. Even outside of that, this original model, five years from now, it's hard to imagine it's going to be nearly as functional as whatever we have five, ten years down the road. I mean, look at like this iPhone six I'm holding in my hand right now. You put this thing next to an original iPhone from seven years ago, and that original iPhone is 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 laughable, right? And you know, it, it's it's not a big leap to say that the same thing is going to happen with the watch. Apple will continue to iterate and continue to improve. And even if you grant that it doesn't happen as fast as it has with the iPhone, I mean, say it takes double the amount of time or say it takes 10 to 12 years, like that's still, I mean, for spending 1000 to $10,000 on something, that's that kind of sucks going into it, knowing that it's going to be obsolete in the foreseeable future.
1: Yeah, it, there's just so many unknowns, and this is, is going to be a very frustrating
0: five-month wait. Well, the Gruber—I don't know if he—if he's got the scoop or not—but he kept alluding to a January event on the show, and I—I I guess I don't know if Apple had said this publicly, but he said it on the show that Apple's hoping to have this thing out by around thanks, or I'm sorry, around by uh, Valentine's Day. Yeah. So I maybe it won't be quite that long. Well, I guess the end of February is five months. So, um, okay. Well, I think we've we've said everything there is to say about that. Um, but there's one other big topic from that episode I wanted to get your take on, which is the idea that, similar to the iPhone in 2007, you really needed a computer, a Mac or a Windows computer, to use the phone. As, you know, as a matter of fact, the very first thing you had to do when you took the original iPhone out of the box was connect it to a computer to activate it. And for the most part, you know, the phone was very tethered to your computer, I I had actually forgotten about this, but they brought this point up on the show that the only way to sync contacts in your calendar on the original iPhone for at least initially was by syncing it to your computer with a cable. There was no way to do that over the air. So your you know your phone was very tethered to your to another device, specifically your computer. But eventually over time, it's gotten to the point where it is truly its own standalone device. I I think I mentioned this a week or two ago. I haven't connected an iPhone to a computer in years. Probably not since like the iPhone 4. Um, And so they, Ben Thompson and Gruber, thought something similar is going to happen with the Apple Watch where they were both concerned that the Apple Watch, you know, prior to it being announced, would just be like an iPhone accessory, which by definition really limits what it can ever become. But the way that they're starting to think about it now, which has gotten them much more excited about the product, is thinking about it not as an iPhone accessory but as its own standalone product and they kind of you know speculated that similar to the iPhone over time the watch is going to become more and more independent eventually to the point where it's not even going to require an iPhone at all and it's going to be totally its own separate platform so what do you, what do you think about that
1: um I'm not sure that will happen in the next five years and i'm not sure if it, if it would ever happen so are we saying that the iphone would then have a cellular radio you'd pay for a data plan for it and it would be it's an entirely owned self-contained thing that's what they speculated yeah i i don't see how that no that I, I i strongly disagree that that will happen in the next five years because i don't think this is the type of product that demands to be a standalone thing like because you have this will never allow like even if you have a really 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 functional connected watch or wearable device does that like you
0: personally would you ever just leave your phone at home why it's um it's really hard it's really hard to say yes to that just be just given the physical limitations of a, of a watch.
1: Exactly. Even if it does extremely good voice dictation and it does all these things, it's still almost always a worse choice for productivity or for doing anything. It's I mean I, and I don't want to redu- like be reductive about what the iWatch is capable of doing or sorry, the Apple Watch Ugh. <laughs> um is that a lot of it's gonna be mainly just a notification device i mean it's gonna be a nicer pebble in a lot of ways, like in terms of interacting with text messages um looking looking at a picture or um like like or like fitness tracking all those things rely on a much more powerful device and i don't like I would never want to manage um like Nike plus or like selecting music for a run and like GPS tracking on a device that has a one inch screen. There's no way that that would ever be engineered to the point where that's going to be the way I want
0: to control everything. I know. I, I, I totally agree. And, you know, even in the so in the demo, they showed some supposedly quick and easy ways to do things like replying to text messages using the watch, which I don't know. I, I think that even that looks like a potential total disaster.
1: I think it's fine in the sense that it gives you quick responses and suggestions on how you could potentially respond to something and it has Siri for dictation but again those that will fit maybe 40% of the usual use cases at best most of the time you're going to look at a text and be like oh I need to respond to that let me take out my actual phone
0: yeah the disaster disaster is probably a strong word but limited would be I think the better word
1: and again and I don't I don't I don't want to Marginalize what it will do, or how forward-thinking a device it is, but it being a standalone computing device is is not going to happen anytime soon. I I know people would were always skeptical about what a smartphone could do and how much actual actual work or other devices it could take over. Like in terms of like a smartphone being your ebook reader, being your email device, allowing you to run a presentation or watch a video. Like all these things did converge into one device. But that's because a smartphone was still a fairly capable and practical device for doing that on, and it was very extensible. A one-inch screen will never do that. I I feel very comfortable in saying that it will be a glorified phone accessory for a while, and I don't mean that in a bad way.
0: Yeah, the the, the final thing, and then I think we should move on. Is I I will I will be stunned if gruber's theory is correct that the the silver one the sterling silver one's like a $1, thousand bucks and the the gold one's like five thousand and it turns out there is no upgrade path that what you get is what you get that that will be i just that will be insane and i won't care because i'll happily buy the 350 fifty dollar sport one and go about my merry way but i think i think that will be absolutely stunning
1: so let me ask you the question that um I forget who asked who on the show, but do you think Apple if if it is a modular design that's easily upgradable, Does Apple say that from the
0: start? Absolutely. Yeah, because I think I think that has to be that has to be a selling point. Because I mean people people aren't dumb. I mean even even people who are not plugged into tech stuff, they, they get they get the idea that tech becomes outdated very quickly. And it just, I I just think it is damn near impossible to convince somebody to spend even a thousand bucks on a watch that from a technical standpoint is going to be a hundred percent obsolete three to four years in the future, perhaps even sooner than that, depending on how quickly they iterate on this thing.
1: And it'll be obsolete in like less than a year once everybody has BlackBerry passports.
0: (laughs) Sure. Sure. I think I tied a nice little bow on that. Just get a get a armband for your passport. You're good to go. There's there's your there's your wearable. Oh god. Okay. So do you want to talk about uh, the Uber
1: stories I sent you? Uh. Oh. Okay. I'll I'll allow it. All right. So there were two. Uh, the first uh of which was the one that I think received the most attention, which was the Uber teacher story, where Uber was talking about all the freedom and latitude uh their ride-sharing service gives to underpaid teachers it gives them the opportunity to use more of their time for um uh, to drive for them so they can fund you know uh shaping the future of children um and then there's the other which was a story on medium from peter sims telling a time uh, in 2009 when he was informed that while he was uh while there was a party for the launch of uber chicago his location was being tracked as a person of note as a party uh, amusement so these kind of stories coupled with um their whole project slog thing to harm and uh sideline competitors and just all, all the general uber stories we talked about over the past 6 months or so if we exclude everything like surge pricing and any other like kind of you know debatable business practices what do you think this says about Uber management and the future of a company that's becoming increasingly powerful and important for transportation?
0: Okay, well, I have, I have a couple of thoughts on this. So first, this story that you're referring to, from this is from, I think, like 2009, mm-hmm. right? Companies, when they're young, do stupid things. And they have, they have people who because they're not yet in the public eye and aren't under a lot of scrutiny, I'm sure do a lot of things that we would consider to be kind of repulsive. So to be honest, I'm not really surprised by this story and I don't think it's at all unique to just Uber. Um this teacher thing, I mean, obviously you would love to believe it's a it's a genuine thing and that the company actually believes in it. But I think you could also make the the kind of cynical case that, you know, this is a way of at least partially deflecting some of the negative press that they've been getting lately. But even if you take that cynical view, it's it's a very rational thing to do. If you're a company that is looking to continue to grow and looking to be viewed in a positive way, particularly given that they're going to need and rely on public support for a lot of the legislation that's coming out against them, it makes sense to try to generate some positive PR. So I, I don't know. I'm I'm not I'm not particularly outraged by either of these things. So the first, I mean, for for the the party
1: thing, like, do you? So when you take an Uber ride, do you do you think you have a reasonable expectation for your whereabouts to be somewhat private?
0: Um, n- not really. No. Why not? I de- because the car you're I a paying know- customer. The car's being GPS tracked. It just because of the nature of the service has to be. No,
1: I mean from the public. I assume Uber knows where all their drivers are, and if they wanted to, like, let's say you said your phone was stolen or something, and you somebody you thought somebody was taking a fraudulent ride on your account, I assume that there's some customer service person or some manager that would have the access to your location. What I'm saying is, do you think that without any reason uh, or like for suspicion, do you think your location? in a car and what time and where you take trips should be accessible to other people?
0: Not, not people outside of Uber. No.
1: What about Uber investors? No, they shouldn't know
0: investors. I would consider investors to be people outside of Uber.
1: Okay. So then how is this any different? Again, I don't think it's just a young. This story is from 2009. Mm -hmm. If
0: if, I don't think, I, I doubt something like this is still happening today. Okay
1: coming from the company that's sending out thousands of prepaid phones to help people cancel rides with their closest competitors to take cars off the road to compete unfairly
0: having overly aggressive recruiting tactics is i think different than customer privacy i don't think i don't think one is indicative of the other
1: i think they share under the umbrella of irresponsible management
0: well i th- i think as has, as has been painfully made clear on the show, we have very different differing views of uber ain't that the truth? I will say also though we we talked about i think we talked about this on the show that particularly in the tech press people love i guess it's it's not unique to the tech press but it's it's very prevalent in this space. People love a good narrative they love Stories that come out, which fit neatly into their pre-existing but it's opinions. No, about something. but it's
1: not that at all. Because Uber had the narrative of being a, a a scrappy technology startup that was delivering a fantastic service that everybody loved and was super efficient and was doing fantastic things. They had the media on their side. It it, it it's no, it's it's not that people are trying to take them down. It's that there are just a lot of things that are wrong with the company.
0: Well, I see. I I disagree with that because this is exactly the same thing that we see out of every tech company for a small period of time when they're first out of the gate. They have everybody's good graces. They become big and popular. Everybody turns against them. I mean, how many times have we seen? But who's this now? turning against them? Doing irresponsible well, things and like competing. No, doing irresponsible things and competing
1: unfairly is not the same. Well, the, what the big, what you call uh... overly aggressive recruiting tactics? It's some of the shadiest shit I've ever heard
0: come come
1: on dude hmm.
0: there's there's still a lot that we don't know about uber particularly it's as you say it's it's unfair competitiveness and uh, no you're saying, we I'm not ta- I'm not
1: talking about business practices in the sense that they're pricing too low or any of that it's all the like ov- like just outright sketchy stuff anyway and this teacher thing i mean i who on earth approved this although the only thing i enjoyed was some uh one of the uh somebody who works for box um posted if only walter white had just driven for uber <laughs> and that that kind of made my week that would have been a much uh less exciting show it would have been like a like a one episode of uh, breaking bad right rides in the aztec would they even allow the aztec to be a, an uberx i think it has to be newer than that it probably yeah <laughs> I'll forever associate that car with that show. It's uh, and oh, every time I wonder, I I wonder if the resale value of that car went up when the show came out. Yeah, they do It's not
0: manufactured anymore, is it? No,
1: no. I, I, isn't the whole Pontiac brand uh,
0: defunct? Uh, I'm not sure. You do see a fair number of those cars around, though. Yeah, not all the time, but every now and then. Yeah. Uh, so
1: what? What do you want? Do you want to talk about Windows uh, Windows 10,
0: or what do you want to do next? I think you you mean Windows 9, right? Isn't that we, – we have Windows 8, and, I mean, it, Windows 9 is next. Uh, w- Windows X. <laughs> Windows, <laughs> as, Windows as OS you X. Would, As you would say, yes. yes. I have never said that in my entire life. <laughs> well, I think you just did. Anyhow. Go
1: for it. You're, you're the Windows guy. I know nothing about this. All I know uh, is that the start I menu looks like a mess.
0: Oh, that's sad. I'm the Windows guy, but it's also true. Um, that's that's the that's the virtue of being an accountant who relies upon Excel. Um, yeah. So Microsoft had a a demo, kind of their first public unveiling. We had talked a little bit about some pictures that leaked out a couple of weeks ago, and those pictures had, were largely in line with what was shown the other day, which is a modified Start button, which is more of a hybrid of between Windows Seven and Windows Eight. Where you have the classic start menu, but then you also have some live tiles next to it, as opposed to the live tiles being this full screen experience. But the surprise was that instead of being called Microsoft, or Windows 9, which you know logically follows Windows 7 and 8, uh, they decided to call it Windows 10. Um, and the reason, the reason for this, at least publicly, Microsoft is saying, is that the, the there's such a big jump in in this version of Windows, that it was simply going to be unfair to just call it Windows 9, that they just had to go to Windows 10. Um, and actually, I don't know if you saw this, but it turns out there was a April Fool's story written, it wasn't by The Onion, but a site similar to The Onion. Did you see this? I remember seeing uh, somebody posted on Twitter something about uh, Windows 9 too
1: good, that they just had to skip it and, and move on, something like that.
0: That's yeah, so that that was the the joke from last April Fools Day. Um actually I found it here. It's it's it on InfoWorld and yeah, the the joke. It's April 1st, 2013 and the the sub kind of sub or byline is Deeming Windows 9 too good to release, Microsoft execs shell follow up to Windows 8 and proceed to Windows 10. So a very prescient story. Um and that that's essentially kind of what they came out and said. Um but there I don't know if you also saw this. there's been some speculation that came out today that apparently it was a common practice with applications when they launch and when they're checking what version of Windows they're launching against, where applications will only look for the first digit of the of the version. So like for Windows 95 and 98. The application will only look for the number nine. It won't care about the five or the eight. And so, the rumor is that as Microsoft was first developing Windows nine, they ran into a bunch of compatibility issues because of this. That seems to make a lot of sense. That's that's hilarious if true. It, I, it seems it seems too funny to be true. But then again, the idea that this thing's being called Windows ten also seems too funny to be true.
1: I mean, you remember the year nineteen ninety nine, right? Uh, like in terms of Y two K,
0: I remember a lot about Y two K. Yeah, yeah, in
1: the sense that people never thought of addressing, you know, what was actually going to happen in the near future for addressing four digit years, so that a computer would just freak out when it saw zero zero. So don't 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 ever underestimate the uh, laziness of programmers.
0: (laughs) Yeah, not that I'm some accomplished
1: person, but I'm saying like the. It it this ha- this stuff happens a lot, and a lot of people do hacky shortcut things. Just not no- Nobody's thinking in like the year two thousand one when Windows XP comes out, and they're looking for like code before Windows NT, and thinking, oh, what are we gonna do in two thousand fourteen when Windows nine is out?
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. And you know what I mean. And and to be fair, I mean, it's not like other companies are killing it in naming their products. I mean. Mavericks. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but both the cat names and the California place names—the cat names uh, were amazing. You you they're, shut your They're mouth.
1: Re- they're really stupid. No, they're not. Really, really stupid. In the beginning, the it was amazing. That, the fact that I ran an operating OS-10 system Tiger, called
0: the fact that I ran an operating system called Snow Leopard that was is that was ridiculous. A decent one. Well, it's nothing to do with the quality of the operating system, but that name is dumb.
1: But back in the old days, when Jaguar, Puma, Tiger, Leopard. <sighs> Those were good names, they, and here's I the thing: disagree. no, and they and they served their purpose in the sense that uh, Apple was releasing operating systems like every eighteen to twenty four months, when Microsoft was going four to five years between releases. And they got customers to know by name what operating system they ran. That was amazing. And it totally served its purpose, and it was cutesy without being too stupid. No, I, I strongly disagree. But this whole Mavericks and Yosemite thing, like Mavericks, is the worst thing in the world.
0: So then anyway, it, it, I, I don't I think it just proves that the name is not not super important. But um okay, so the, the, let's get to the real news of of this they're calling it a, a technical preview that actually just came out for the public today. Or maybe not the public, but I guess if you're part of like the what is it, the Microsoft like
1: uh, uh MSDN, the developer MSDN, I'm there gonna... we go. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um so you get you get this technical preview which is available today. Um people started poking around with it. And something they demoed the other day is this um, (laughs) conveniently named, strangely familiar name, Continuum. Kind of makes you think of continuity in a way, although this is uh, different in design. So this is, you know, Microsoft is, is, as you like to say, doubling down on this idea that it's one operating system for every form factor. And this Continuum feature is a extension of that where there's a brief video, I, I put it in the Slack, where someone is using a Surface, and now when the Surface is connected to the keyboard, Windows 10 will go into its kind of new, more traditional-slash-hybrid mode with the new Start menu and everything. And then when you detach it from the keyboard, it will revert into a more tablet-like experience, which is kind of similar to the Windows 8 experience today. And you'll be able to, in theory, seamlessly switch between the two experiences. And that's true not only of your desktop, but also of whatever application you're running. So, I don't know. That, that, seems, that seems cool in theory, but almost impossible, second time I've used that phrase on the show, um, to execute on
1: so in its current form of what they've shown is this going to be something that's supposed
0: to run on surface uh well this is i mean th- this is a feature that sounds like is going to be available on surface but also other more hybrid devices
1: okay cuz everything they're doing is is in the, is mostly to appease traditional computer users right
0: I I I think I don't I don't know if they see it that way necessarily. I think they see it as better supporting a range of devices. I think Windows Seven was obviously just very desktop oriented. I think Windows Eight was overly tablet oriented, and now they're trying to find somewhere in the middle.
1: But does the middle make for the best touch computing devices and the best legacy mouse and keyboard
0: devices? no not at all which is why i was careful to say this continuum video yeah it looks pretty and maybe demo's well but in day-to-day use i i just i just think i think having one operating system to as again as you would say rule them all uh just it's a it's a pipe dream it's just something that can't can't happen as an operating system that's a hybrid operating system like that will never be as good as a standalone desktop operating system on a desktop, and a standalone mobile operating system on a tablet or phone.
1: Do you remember uh, back in like 2007? Do you remember the Modbook? Yeah, I think those
0: guys are still around.
1: Yeah. Back in the did, back in the old days, did you ever want one of those? No. Okay, like like the pen based or like touch input mac never never struck your fancy no okay, well, never mind then
0: i I just i don't know, I don't ever when I'm using my laptop at work, I never really come across situations where I wish something was touch, not touch but like pen based or like stylus based. No, because like my well, handwriting is terrible and I can't draw. So guess, what, am, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do with the stylus? I guess because you don't do creative things. Or I mean, you, I, you don't. No, I don't. You're right. No, I know. So like, it, like
1: for Photoshop and like those types of applications, this seems like amazing to me. And I don't know. The, I, the only reason I bring that up is back in the old days before the iPad, whenever anybody thought about how Apple would make like a, like a slate style device, they always thought, you know, keeping the legacy keyboard and mouse model and just making it accessible with a pen. And that's the strategy that Microsoft took for decades, or sorry, just a single decade. And now they continue to struggle with, because uh, Satya Nadella, he's he doesn't it doesn't look like he's going to quit on Surface, does he?
0: No, I mean if, if if anything, the strategy with Windows 10 seems to be furthering the idea that Windows can be everywhere, which was kind of Balmer's pride and joy
1: but it can't can it cuz aren't they scaling back all the things that made the surface somewhat touch friendly like it's all going back to smaller uh smaller like touch targets
0: no i i think i think honestly what they're trying to do here is i really do think they're trying to take the best of Windows 7 the best of Windows 8 and squish them together
1: what was the best of Windows 8
0: uh, well uh, the live
1: tiles weren't cuz i don't think anybody actually likes that because it was it was just so limiting and constricting and then Randomly, you would always get dumped out back into the standard, like old Windows
0: mode. I feel like, particularly in the last two weeks, for whatever reason, I've I've just gotten stuck in the position of articulating ideas and beliefs that I myself don't believe in at all. But what's the expression you that go. you're
1: you're supposed to you're supposed to be able to argue both sides? Otherwise, you don't have like a right to the other opinion. Yeah, so. Guess. Th- so that's what you're
0: doing. Good job. I guess, yeah. I think I think it's a stupid idea. Uh, man, Microsoft. Ugh.
1: How about that Xbox? Did you buy that Destiny game? I did. You got it for PS uh, PS4? Or P- yeah, it's PS4. P-
0: PS4 um, only because I knew uh, two friends who were also buying it for the PS4. So. Hmm.
1: Um, Are you bored with it, or did you already play it through? Or as much as you think you would.
0: No, I'll play it some more. It, it's it's fine. It's 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 weird. It's a weird game. It, it, speaking of you know, Windows 10 trying to be a mashup of a mobile and desktop operating system. Destiny is also a weird hybrid between trying to take like the best elements of a first person shooter and an MMO um, and a loop based game and trying to kind of like combine it into this weird thing. I don't. I don't know. It's it's okay. Yeah. Well, all right. Okay. Uh, what else we got? Well, I think so. I think my my cold and I think the nasally nature of my voice will allow only for maybe one more story.
1: Okay, you tell me. You wrap
0: up your show. Um, well, okay. I'll quickly. I, I mentioned I had two product. Um, this won't be the last thing but I'll just get this out of the way. Uh, the two two product recommendations. So the first was the Powerbeats 2. The other one is I previously had one of those like Pro Clip mounts for my iPhone 5 and then 5s. So I you know when I got the 6 that was no longer going to work because those clips are very form fitting and are only meant to fit on like one specific model. So I had to replace that, and I I didn't really feel like replacing it with anything too fancy because the lease is up on my car mid next year, and so there's no reason to get some crazy custom solution for the six. So I ended up buying this IAudi Easy One Touch Two, which just <laughs> <laughs> uh just you know as we've as, we, as we've said before on the show with some other product names just rolls you know right off the tongue. Um, but you know, got you to buy it. So they're doing something right. Funny name aside, well, the fact that it was the number one bestseller on uh, in car mounts on Amazon didn't hurt either. But it's it's twenty four ninety five, so not not very expensive. Um, it's it's a kind of a universal mount. Pretty much works on anything from like the iPhone five through like the Galaxy Note. Um, it it is it's really awesome. It's super, super flexible. You can stick it to your windshield. You can stick it to just your dashboard. Um, I've had it for about a week, and it it hasn't shown any signs of coming off or anything. It's got lots of different adjustments. You can spin spin the phone 360 degrees. It's got an arm that comes out, so you can make it so that the mount is a little closer to you. You can angle it upwards. You can really move it around any way you want to and for 25 bucks it's it's a heck of a deal and it, it also um you can put your phone in and out really easy you simply just tap your phone or kind of press your phone against the back and the sides come and lock the phone into place and then it's you know as the name implies one touch to then also release the phone so it's it's awesome um it the, the the your the phone wobbles around a little bit like the stand itself kind of wobbles around a little bit when you're driving if you especially if you go over like a bump um but i, I think that's more to do with just me needing to kind of tweak the way I have it mounted um mm-hmm. and is this
1: is this like a, a sticky mount is this a dash mount a vent mount a cup holder what is yeah, this? it's
0: a, it's a sticky mount yeah it's like a hybrid sticky mount suction cup solution that they claim you can if you don't if you end up not liking where yours is placed which i think is actually how what i'm going to end up doing i might end up moving mine you can simply detach it rinse the bottom off with some warm water let it air dry and then it basically becomes as good as new so we'll see how we'll see about that claim but um so far it, it's it's very solid from what i can tell so far And again, for $25, I think it's that that pro clip that I bought, which I never really was happy with, costs like 80 bucks. Yikes. Yeah. And this thing, for a fraction of the price, I think it's way more flexible and just in general, just kind of awesome. Well, good. So, shout out to the Audi Easy One Touch 2. Uh, it sounds like one.
1: It sounds like one of those uh, Sunday afternoon infomercial things, like ne- after the rotisserie chicken machine. You know it does.
0: I mean? and it's it's now uh, now out of stock on Amazon. So
1: <laughs> you you already caused the the listeners to buy out all the stock.
0: I guess so. Yeah. Okay. So that that's that's my last program condition. We we won't make that the last story of the week. Um, do you have any? Do you have anything else that you're particularly married to? No, I'm good. There's like I mean some other things we have in the the slack there's kind of this growing rumor of retina IMAx coming out with Yosemite Meh. I don't really think either of us would go out and buy one of those, so I'm not sure i'm I'm still actually super happy with my cinema display um yeah i guess I guess that's about it, really. We you, you put in some NFL links about their new deal with DirecTV, but...
1: Well, actually, hold,
0: let's, let's talk about that real quick. Okay.
1: Do you remember, like, weren't there rumors that Google and YouTube were allegedly, like, in talks to secure the rights after the Sunday ticket deal expired?
0: There were, but from what I've heard, the rumors now have been that Google's refocused its efforts on the NBA. Um for a couple of reasons. One, I think they is recently, they became like the exclusive provider of like D league games, which is like the NFL or the, sorry, the NBA's equivalent of like the minor leagues. And then also the, uh, NBA TV deals being renegotiated. And there's been a rumor for a while that the NBA is looking to bring in a fourth partner. You know, currently they work with, um, I guess it's actually just two partners. Now it's just ESPN, well, Disney and, uh, Turner on for TNT. So they were looking to bring in a third partner, and the rumor has been that that third partner may end up being Google. But I think the most recent story I've heard about that, even on the NBA front, is that the New Deal might end up just being with Disney and Turner again.
1: Yeah, that's the only reason why I thought this was interesting, because in, this, in like the era of alleged cord cutting, we, we keep reiterating that um, sports are the only thing keeping people tethered to either a standard subscription uh, cable or satellite agreement. And it looks like that will continue that way for what is unfortunately one of the most popular sports.
0: So, So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, there is no, there is no good, we've talked about this exhaustively. There is no good way to cut the cord uh, if you're a sports fan. You can't do it. And I, it's hard to see, it's hard to see that ever happening. And I know, I know normally it's dangerous to say ever, but there is just so much money tied up with these TV deals That just it's it just seems like it just seems like that replacing that money is like it just isn't feasible or something that's going to happen anytime soon.
1: Makes sense. I mean, it's in the much in the same way where uh Google, um, HBO is not ready to go direct to consumers because the money that they receive from their traditional cable bundle agreements is, is not worth it, right? Yeah. And sports is ex- is extremely tough. so. Very. Yeah. I just... I, I, what So predict for me as the very last thing on the show. When will I be able to um, get uh, MLB.tv and not have blacked out local games?
0: How long will that take? <sighs> uh, I mean, I, I guess one thing you've got going for you is that the FCC just a couple of days ago, struck down the rule where this was prevalent in the NFL, where if stadiums didn't sell a certain number of tickets, they could black out the game, even to local residents, like on the local station. And this and this would happen fairly regularly with teams like, I think the Dolphins and the Raiders were the two most common examples of this in recent years. And the FCC just this week said, yeah, you can't do that anymore. So... Maybe the FCC is leaning towards just the general concept of not being able to black out local games. I mean, in that example, it's for a very different reason. So I, I don't know. But maybe that's a good sign. Well, all right. All right. I think that's that's probably about, that's that's enough uh, of nasally Ryan for one week. All right. I'm sure there's some filter you can put in post-processing that sound <laughs> make it <the> sound good as <laughs> new. Maybe I should, yeah, I should just put some ridiculous filter on it. That might be better.